0: Amen. Thank you, Joe. Good job. You know, we have certain ways to pronounce a word, and then we went to Israel and found out that the way we pronounce words, much different than the way they pronounce them in actual Hebrew, Uh, but that's a whole other story. Uh, But this morning, as we are uh, talking about the the longing for impact, and, and the question is, who has made an impact in your life? Can you think about it? There might be several people. Uh, But think about that for just a second. Who has made an impact? Who has made a difference in your life? You have that in your mind right now. You've you've pictured some people. So I want you to just blurt out a name, just their first name. Go ahead. Who, Who is it? There you go. Say it. Come on. There you go. These, there you go. Good names, people that have made an impact. And the question is, do they know? Do they know that they have made an impact in your life? Because I I think a lot of times we long to have impact, but we don't even know that we're making an impact on people. So I would encourage you, if you have the chance, to tell those people what an impact they have made in your life. But I submit to you that, that all of us have been designed by God to long to make an impact. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It's something that that God has built within us, this longing to make a difference, this longing for impact. But just like all of these longings that we have, uh, sometimes we get confused. We have the longing, and and we can get confused about what that longing really is. And so too often, what the world seeks is not really impact, but recognition. And, and, And that's... The wrong longing. We want to be recognized. We want to be uh, seen. But, but I submit that, that God has built within us this longing for impact, not necessarily for recognition, but an impact that, that changes the kingdom of God. And there's one way in which we can have an impact that will change and impact the kingdom of God. And that's this. We have to learn to live in our identity and to live out our purpose. That is the only way we'll have an impact in the kingdom of God. And if we do that, we will not only impact the kingdom of God, but we might just impact this world as well. But again, we want to be recognized. We want to know that we're making a difference and we have that within us. But again, there's only one way. And if we truly live out our identity, and our purpose, we will impact the kingdom of God that will ripple throughout time and space. It will have cosmic implications beyond the here and now. So we've talked about this over the last several weeks. We have to know our identity and we have to know our purpose. So I want us to review. First, our identity. Remember our identity Two things. We were created in the image of God, and we are all God's children. That is our identity. We have been created in the image of the Almighty God, and we are his children. And so we have to remember that. That is our identity. We still having issues? Awesome. Yeah, still having issues. We will always have issues, won't we? Uh, but living out our identity created in the image of God, we are his children. And and if we do that, if we understand that identity, that in itself is half the battle that in itself can have an impact on the world Uh, because just living in our identity can make an impact. Living in our identity gives us a purpose. But then we also looked uh, last week at living out our purpose, that uh, the purpose that we have is to, what is it? Love God and love others. We're called to love God and we're called to love others. And when we do that, it impacts the kingdom of God. When we know our identity, we're, we're created in the image of God, and we are his children, and we live out our purpose to love God and to love others, then we will automatically make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. Because Why? Because in that love of God and love of others, we want to share that with other people so they also know that love. They also know their identity. They also have a purpose. They also can make an impact. So that's our calling, is to to live in our identity, and to live out our purpose. And if we do this, listen, it is guaranteed, guaranteed to make an impact in the kingdom of God because of who God is, because of his character. If we live in that, we will make an impact that is cosmic in implications. And so as our background this morning, we have this remarkable story about these ordinary people, Ruth and Naomi, and Boaz and the impact they have on the world. The story of Ruth is it's a book, and, and we're gonna I'm gonna retell the story of Ruth, but first I want to just take a moment and, and talk about the book itself. The book of Ruth is in our Old Testament. Always remember where Ruth is, it's it's after Judges. Joshua judges Ruth, right? And so Ruth, the book, was written during the time when uh, they, the time of the judges in Israel. But Ruth is a remarkable little book. It is a literary masterpiece. In fact, scholars who study both the Bible and literature marvel at this little book because there is nothing else like it. This 3,000-year-old book, there's nothing else that was written like it in that time period. And so scholars sometimes scratch their head in trying to figure out what what genre this book goes in. Some call it a, a short story or a novella, or a romance novel. This is the world's first romance novel. Here, this romance story, and it's a great story. And some call it even a, the original Cinderella story. The great thing about this story, though, there are no wicked stepmothers. Only good and faithful mother-in-law's. It's a great story. But enough about that. We don't have time to go into all that. But I want to tell the story of Ruth. Again, Ruth uh, grew up. The story is about a family, uh, Elimelech and Naomi. And they were from the city of Bethlehem. They lived in Bethlehem. They lived during the time of the judges, which was a terrible time in the nation of Israel. And they suffered some financial setbacks, some major crushing financial setbacks. They got in debt. And they were forced to sell their land and move from Bethlehem. They moved from Bethlehem to the country of Moab, which is in modern-day Jordan. And so here they're going to the country of Moab. Now, who are the Moabites? Do you know any of your history? The Moabites were despised by the nation of Israel. Because the Moabites, when, when the nation of Israel came out of slavery, into going into the Promised Land, the Moabites did not help them. And they were cursed. In fact, they weren't supposed to have anything to do with the Moabites. So think how bad off they were that they had to go from their hometown in Bethlehem down to the country of Moab. And they were there about 10 years. And it says that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And so her two sons, Malon and Kilian, they married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And it says that those two sons also died. And here we have this widow and her two daughter-in-laws, who are also widows, living in a foreign country. They were in a desperate situation. Because widows in this time, uh, there was not much chance that they would make it unless they got remarried. But here's the hard part. Naomi, a foreign woman, living in this country uh, with Moab, she has no chance of survival there's no chance for her to survive. So she, she finally tells her two daughter-in-laws, she basically releases them. They are, in effect, her property. Now this is another time and place. But they are her property. So she releases them as an act of grace and kindness and says, maybe your family will take you back and you can survive. You're young enough that you can get remarried and have children and maybe th- survive, but I have nothing. I'm too old to get remarried. I'm too old to get, have children, So I'm going to go back to my hometown and maybe someone will have pity on me. Well, Orpah tearfully leaves Naomi and goes back to her family. But Ruth, she clings to Naomi. She is living faithfully to her. And she says these words, these incredible words of devotion that reveal her character. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. What a great act of devotion and loyalty that shows who she is, her character, her identity. And so they go back to Bethlehem, and they are truly in a desperate situation. And Ruth goes out into a field, not her own field, not, they don't own any property, and she begins to glean or harvest behind the harvesters that are harvesting the field. And here's where it is so helpful for us to know the Old Testament law, because this is a great story on its own, but, but woven in the story are these complex laws. And family laws that if we don't know, we we miss part of the story. But in the Old Testament, God talks about those who are poor, that those who have nothing, that God wants to take care of them. And part of the law was said that if you harvest your field, you don't go back and pick up anything you left behind. You leave that for the orphan and the widows. And so here, Ruth is behind the harvesters and anything they haphazardly drop, she can pick up and she harvests the edges. Well, she does this faithfully every day to try to get grain for her and Naomi so they can live. And, and one day, the, the owner of the field, a man named Boaz, he notices this woman faithfully coming every day to pick grain. And he asks someone, he says, who is this lady? And one of them says, oh, that's that Moabite woman who came with Naomi. Her, it's her daughter-in-law. And, and she's coming to, to get grain to help provide for her mother-in-law. And Boaz is impressed. He's impressed with this young woman's devotion to her mother-in-law. And when Ruth and so Boaz, he, he he tells Ruth, Hey, instead of coming behind the harvesters, I want you to come with the harvesters. And I want you to be in line with them and, and to gather grain with my harvesters. And whatever you get, you keep. And in fact, at noon, when you get hungry, come and gather with us, and you can eat with us. And I'll protect you and make sure no one hassles you as a widow. Well, when Ruth tells Naomi this, Naomi is ecstatic. And she hatches a plan. There's nothing like a mother-in-law hatching a plan. Right? Yeah. She's got a plan. But it's a good one. She knows that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's family. Now, this is the romance part of the story. And, and this, is, this is what she tells her to do. And, and, and we have to understand this. We don't understand this ritual. We have no idea what this ritual means. But in some type of ritual that is very... The man would know what she's doing. Let's put it that way. She says... Tonight, when, when after Boaz works, and he's going to be tired, and they're just going to sleep in the field, and he's going to probably lay there in the threshing floor, here's what I want you to do. You know, after he falls asleep, I want you to go to the corner of his blanket and pull it off his feet. Pretty romantic, right? But this is the ritual. This is very intentional. And then, he sa- then she says, and then I want you to lay down at his feet. Now, this is romantic. Now, it's not our romantic, but this is written in a way that we understand this was telling the man my intentions. And so Boaz wakes up and he's shocked to see this young woman, woman at her feet. And, and he wakes her up and he's so impressed with what she has done. He is so taken back by what she has done. And, and this commitment that he, she is making to him that he says, all right, game on. Here's the courtship. I'm gonna make sure that this works out. Uh, This courtship has begun as Boaz is so impressed with Ruth, and he promises to redeem her and to see that they get married. Now, here comes the intrigue part. This is the part, again, where we have to know a little bit about the complex family law of the time and about the concept of a kinsman redeemer. Here it goes. This is tough. Now, when Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and their family, when they left Bethlehem, they had fallen into crushing debt, as I said. And in, they had, in order to repay that debt, they had to sell all of their land to a creditor. That's why they had to go to Moab. But in order for them to redeem that land from the creditor, they had to pay back the debt. But there is no way that Naomi will ever be able to pay back that debt as a widow And this is where a kinsman redeemer comes in. A kinsman kinsman redeemer was the, the nearest male adult relative who could serve as an advocate for the family in need. And they would pay the debt for that family. And so Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, but he wasn't the closest living relative. There was another. But here's where it gets even more sticky. What happens to Ruth? What do we do with Ruth? See, because Naomi owns Ruth, and Ruth uh, is a problem. (laughs) You see, Ruth is owned by Naomi through her dead son. And for the kinsman redeemer to pay back the debt... He is also, in effect, promising to provide for Naomi and for Ruth. Now, Naomi is not really a problem. She's too old to have any children. But Ruth is a problem because of another law of Israel, the law of Leverite marriage. What this law said was that if a widow remarried and had children, the children and the land connected to that children that was redeemed was an inheritance of the deceased husband. Do you follow that? And not the man that remarried the widow. So in fact, if Ruth married Boaz and they had a child, that child would be not Boaz's, but the child of her deceased husband. It was a way for them to keep that family line because family was so important. That was how they would redeem it. And so here Boaz is willing to do that, but not everyone is willing to do that because that's sacrifice. And that's saying, you know, someone might have several wives and, and if he marries this one woman, that property that she had would not revert to him but revert to this other family. So, back to the story. Boaz wants to get this settled. And so he goes to the closer anonymous kinsman redeemer and tells them him that he wants to redeem Naomi's property and pay off the debt so that she can have that property back. And Boaz has a genius plan to get the property and Ruth by reminding this redeemer that Ruth is a part of the bargain. Well, this anonymous redeemer, he doesn't want to dilute his inheritance, so he allows Boaz to redeem Naomi's property. And Boaz marries Ruth. And in fact, Boaz and Ruth have a son. And they all lived happily ever after. It's such a great story. That's the end of the story. And and you might be asking yourself, what does that have to do with having an impact on the world? It's a story of ordinary people just trying to get by in the world. Ordinary people just trying to survive in a desperate situation. And and that's the point. Most of us are going to live ordinary lives. Most of us, in the world's view, will never really make an impact on this world. Most of us will maybe raise a family, go to work every day, go home, make some friends. We will wonder if we are making any impact on the world. But I submit to you, if you're living your identity and living out your purpose, you absolutely will make an impact on the world and on the kingdom of God. And we see this in Ruth. Because Here's here's part of the equation we forget so often. We think we're just living ordinary lives, going to work, going back, being faithful. We forget an all-too-important character of the story. Who's that? God. Right? God is involved. When we live out our identity and our purpose, God is absolutely going to bless that. God is involved. Our faithfulness to our identity and our purpose does not escape the sight of God. These have cosmic implications on the kingdom of God. And in his sovereignty and in his providence, these ordinary people play an extraordinary role in the kingdom of God. God is looking for ordinary people to be faithful, to live out their identity and their purpose. Ordinary people can have an extraordinary impact on the world. And we see how Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's faithfulness to their identity and their purpose and their faithfulness to God's law, it doesn't just bless their family. It blesses the entire world for generations. And we see that at the very end of the story. That's kind of the Paul Harvey and now the rest of the story, right? We read it in Ruth 4.17. It says this, The women of the neighborhood gave him, that is, the son of Ruth and Boaz, a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Did you catch that? David's grandfather was the son of a Moabite woman. It's kind of funny. Actually, you can use that phrase, you're a son of a Moabite woman, and it's not the most kind phrase you could ever say. A foreigner, an outcast, a nobody is that amazing? David's grandfather was Ruth. Not even Jewish. Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are a part of the great lineage of King David. Because of their faithfulness, they have p- impacted the nation of Israel. And they have impacted us here today. If you turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, who's listed? Ruth. Obed. Are in the lineage of Jesus because of their faithfulness to live their life and their identity and purpose, they're part of the lineage of where Jesus came through the line of King David. We might not ever know the impact we're making in this world. Did Ruth ever know? No. She had no idea. She died before that happened. We might be the same. But I submit to you, if you live out your identity and your purpose When we step from this life to the next, it will become very clear the impact that we had on the kingdom, an impact that ripples beyond time and space. That is my prayer for us. We are ordinary people that can have extraordinary impact when we live out our identity and our purpose. Let us pray.